This is a Centre for Stories podcast. I'm Claudia from the team here at the Centre for Stories. Before I introduce you to our story for this week, I'm going to share with you one of our upcoming events. Starting September 14, Rosemary Stevens will be running a seven-week course on life writing. This course will teach you the best way to share stories from your own life or family history, combining creative imagination with memory and research to unlock character, narrative and theme. Tickets are available via our website. You will find details in the information section for this podcast. We hope to see you there. Today's story is from our monthly dinner and storytelling event, Bread and Butter. On April 25th, 2019, Yoga Jalor Waldeis shared his story with an audience of 40 people at the Centre for Stories. Yoga was born in the holy town of Lalabella in Ethiopia. He is a writer, researcher and poet using his native language of Amharic in his poetry to reflect on Ethiopia's history of loss and resilience. Thank you so much. Uh, <clears throat> I really would like to thank Center for Stories. Uh, had it not been for the Center, I don't think I would be able to publish some of the stories that I published and have also this platform to talk to you. So it's really an incredible Center, and thank you, Caroline, and your team. Um, you know, uh, thinking about this story, I wanted to uh, tell you some, um, some things about myself. As you can see that I'm a black person, I'm black. I'm from African, and I'm from Ethiopia, and you might know that Ethiopia is a poor country. Uh, so I'm, from, I'm a person, of uh, a, black, a black man from Africa. Uh, but this sets of who I am were not as clear as they seem to me, especially when I grew up as a young person. I never knew that I was black. I never knew I was a black man before I came to Australia. In fact, when I was quite young, at the age of 11 or 12, my father's friend came to visit us in the house and he looked at my siblings and my friends and he said, oh, Yirga is Turkor, means Yirga is black. And I said, no, I'm not black, I'm brown. I say that because sometimes I get in uh, argument with my friends when we do plays. Uh, in the play in Ethiopia, you know, we, you have three types of colors for people. You are red, or black, or brown. So in a, in a, in a, in a play, uh, red and black are considered to be enemies to each other. And brown is a kind of mediator, a judge. So I always want to become brown and judge my friends when they fight each other. That's why I said I'm not black, I'm brown. <coughs> you see, this was the label of consciousness that I had about color when I went to university in Addis Ababa University to study uh, law. At Freshman, when I went there, there was this African-American professor. She was young, she wanted to teach philosophy in Ethiopia. And she called us to meet and talk about her idea. Her idea was to promote black consciousness among Ethiopian students. She was so disappointed, so angry, so frustrated because she felt that Ethiopia should be the leader in the movement of black people for liberation. She told us, you people, Ethiopians, the world thinks Africa does not have history. Ethiopia has a history that dates back 10,000 years. The world thinks Africans do not know how to write their stories. They don't have literature. But Ethiopians were writing books before the British had the alphabet, or before many Europeans even know how to write. The world thinks 
Europeans brought Christianity, Christ, to Africa. But Ethiopia was Christian before Europe. Yes. It was mentioned in the Bible even more than 44 times. The Black Order especially sings for Ethiopia. Bob Marley sings for Ethiopia. Yes. Uh, the Back to African movement, every black people celebrates Ethiopia. But you people here, here, you don't even know that you are black. <laughs> so, in that meeting, we are so confused. Yes, these are great things about our country, but why is she relating these things to only one third of the population? How about the red ones? How about the brown ones? And even a friend of mine who was doing mathematics, because she said, you know, my black skin is a source of mathematics, of science in ancient Egypt and so on. And he raised his hand and he said, uh, do you think it's also possible to create a club for red consciousness? Because some of us are good in maths. <laughs> That was the level of understanding of uh, color that I had in Ethiopia. But many years later, I turned up in Australia. And slowly, I started to understand that there is actually a settled meaning of what black people are. So immigration processes, so work, so that usual phrase which says, ah, you are from Africa? You must be very happy. You must be very lucky. So these are reminders of a certain narrative about blackness to which I struggle. So the questions I sometimes struggle with, okay, I haven't experienced blackness in my life. I was a brown person when I grew up in Ethiopia. Do I defend it as my identity because it is not me? Or do I reject it? Because if I do so, the world understanding me as a black person and there are certain consequences for not doing that. Now, that is a story of me about black that the fact that I didn't know uh, I was black before I came here. I'll tell you another story about poverty as well. Uh, everybody knows Ethiopia is a poor country and I come from a poor, a, poor, a, poor, a poor place and so on. But I tell you this, I never knew poverty through my experience. I didn't know that I was poor, never. I grew up this, in this place, Lalibela. There are so many mountains around Lalibela. Some of the mountains go as high as 4,000 meters above sea level. And across those mountains, there are trees, there are forests. And from the age of eight, we are allowed to go to the field with our friends, with the cattle, with the sheep, with the goats, and so on. So we'll be running around all day, playing without any restriction, jumping from one gorge to another, climbing a mountain, going down, and singing all kinds of songs as children. And Lalibela is also famous for its rock-hewn churches. 900 years ago, an Ethiopian emperor called Lalibela wanted to create heaven on earth so that his people experience spiritually a sense of living in heaven. So what they did was there was this massive mountain, like massive rock, as big as a suburb. And they chiseled out, they carved out 11 churches out of that rock. They started from the roof, chiseled the rock, and created tunnels across the underground, and as children, we are very happy to go running around, hide and seek in the tunnels and so on. Sometimes the priestess or the monks will call us and tell us, do you see this? What? Do you see that? Oh, yes, that is a church. No, no, do you see something else? No. There are angels here. They are in thousands. You may not see them. There are angels hovering, flying everywhere with their wings, 
and they have swords in their hands. They are sent from God to protect this place. Now, if you children are running around and doing all kinds of noises, you might get in trouble. You have to be respectful. That was the kind of advice we get to, from these elders. So what we do sometimes, we go to the churches. We study songs, and we take those songs to the forest, to the, to the field, and sing it with our, with our friends. And also we go to school. That period was a period of transition in Ethiopia, uh, where uh, a new government came by removing the 1,700 years old monarchy through violence. So there were revolutionary songs in the schools. There were spiritual songs in the church. We take songs from everywhere. For example, in the churches, there is this song called Nitfaqar Skanemawut. It goes like this. Nitfaqar Skanemawut, halle hallelujah. Ale malafinat, kemesilalot. Ale malafinat, kemesilalot. This is a song which says that let's love each other before we die, for the world will pass like a shadow. That is the type of song we'll bring from the churches. And there are other songs we'll bring from the revolutionary songs as well. There was this song, for example. This is a type of song that glorifying the murdering of people who are against the revolution of that time. But we never asked the contradiction or name, knew the contradiction between the two songs. We just forget everything and sing along with our friends. And so on. That's how I grew up. I never knew that was a life of poverty. Of course, sometimes we have to fetch water from far away places, but that was a mere inconvenience, probably, with the, or also an opportunity for an adventure. We'd go far away, probably spend half of the day playing around to fetch water from a faraway place. When I became a 10-year student, I wanted to work and I wanted to become a health assistant. So I was trained for one year, one and a half year as a health assistant and was assigned to work in a remote rural clinic in Ethiopia as a mini doctor. So what I do, I stitch wounds, I administer medicine, I give antibiotics for people, I help women to deliver, and I do all kinds of those things. And I start to enjoy that life. I remember one story where a woman came to the clinic to give birth, and she had a prolonged, a prolonged labor. You know, the amniotic sac was not broken. So what I did was I took a sharp object and carefully not to hurt her, approached and pricked the amniotic sac. And when I do that, a gush of amniotic water, the water that splashed on my face, and I retreated. When that happened, she held me on my hand and said, but I'm It means that may God bless you forever and thank you. And I felt the earnestness of that gratitude, and I still remember that, 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 that response from that lady. So I did many other things. We are circumcising people who, young men, before the time of their wedding in some places, depending on their tradition, would amend our way of giving service. I enjoyed that work. And also I did something else. I started to write poems. I started to write my experience, the experience that I see using words. And I collected a large collection, I had a large collection of poems, and finally I decided to go to university. You know, to be successful, to get to somewhere, I have to go to university and study more. 
So I went to the Addis Ababa University, and I went to the literature department. I heard that there's a this professor who is quite educated. I wanted to talk to him, and I went and knocked at his door, and he said, come in. I entered, and then he asked me to sit. I said, no, I, I just want to stand while talking to you, I said. Okay, what do you want? He said, look, I've been writing poems for a long time, and I have collected them, and they are here. I really, really want to know if I have a chance to become a great writer. I really want to become a writer, and I want to join the literature department if that is a possibility. And then he took my book, I gave him the poems, and he again invited me to sit, I sat. He flipped through the pages of my poems and said, ha, so you want to become a famous writer? Yes, I want to become a famous writer. And then he said, have you heard anything about Shakespeare? No. Have you heard about John Milton? No. Have you read any of their work? No. And he kept on mentioning names after names, and after I said, no, 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 no. We may help you to become a writer in the future. But this is not a time for you to think about writing. Just go and join the department. I felt so disappointed, so discouraged. And I immediately went out from his office and decided not to join the literature department. And I started to look at other options. I felt like I should study law because I remember my father. He was very interested in the law. He was very careful in writing legal documents. He used to help people who come from rural places to Ethiopia, to Lalibela, and he would write them legal applications carefully, and sometimes he would ask me to read those applications. And I felt like law is closer to me, so I went to the law department. And I went there, and I find out that although in Ethiopia law is practiced in Amharic, in the local language, although all the codes are written in our local language, Law in the university was taught in English. Ah. And I didn't understand why. I looked at all other departments, geography, history, biology, everything is taught in English. 99% of Ethiopians do not understand English. Why was this happening? I didn't know. So I went to this law, the, the dean of the law school one day, and I wanted to ask him, why do you think we are studying in a language? that we wouldn't use to practice when we go out graduating. And he looked at him in the eye and said, you don't know why? No, I don't know. It's because of poverty. We are poor people. What can we study from our language, from our culture, from our history? In order to develop our country, we have to learn from the West. We have to learn their language, we have to learn their education, we have to bring their science, their investment to develop our country. That was the day when I learned the meaning of poverty. Poverty is not what you don't have in your world, but it's actually a belief that you need something which other people, successful people have. And as a result of that, you know, some, sometimes people think poverty is like lack of water, lack of food, and so on. That is not poverty, that is destitution, or that is hunger. Poverty is actually a political and ideological project that is implemented to uh, make uh, countries like Ethiopia, followers or dependents of uh, developed countries. I came to this country after some years. I studied uh, a PhD. I studied my PhD on the Ethiopian education system, and I ended up writing a book called Native Colonialism. Ah. It's a book that says how Ethiopia is colonized by ideas that do not emanate from its own history, its own culture. Now, when I reflect about my experience, I always feel like there are two types of Africans. 
Now we think about Africa, but there are two Africas. One Africa is the Africa where I grew up as a child playing with my friends. It's an Africa where real people live and experience life. The second Africa is the imagined Africa, the Africa that lives in the mind of people. The Africa, the blackness that you know without talking to black people, by simply listening to views that is broadcasted through the media and so on. There's real Africa, which is based on people's experiences, and there's the imagined Africa, which is constructed based on ideas, assumptions, and opinions that people have. And to be an African is sometimes to struggle uh, to, uh, to uh, really maintain where to belong in relation to these two Africas. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this story, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to listen to more stories, check out our upcoming events, subscribe to our mailing list, or find out more about what we do, head to centerforstories.com.